spins a web any size. Can't you see? Just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to another episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. My name is John Wilson, and with me in the studio, seated to my right, is Josh Bertoni from the Clone Saga Chronicles and the Batman Universe Podcast. Hello, Josh. Hey, yo. Seated to my left is Donovan Grant, also from the Clone Saga Chronicles and the Spectacular Webs Podcast. What's up, Don? Hiya, hiya. And seated in my lap, my co-host from Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man Podcast is Zach Henderson. Hey, Zach. Hello. You can get off now. He doesn't want to. I want a new bike. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we are back to give another set of reviews and discussions and all sorts of goodness about classic Spider-Man issues. The mission of this podcast is to cover every issue of his titles and every guest appearance and cameo that we can find. And we found a few. We found a few. A couple. You know, last episode, we joked around at the beginning about how we had gotten so much feedback and how this podcast had become so cool. Everybody was saying so many good things, and none of that had happened because we hadn't actually even gone on the air yet when we recorded it. But now that we have been on the air for a few weeks, we have gotten a lot of response and feedback. And we just want to say thank you to all of our listeners out there in listener land for the, um, the love and support that you've been showing the show. Yeah, here's hoping we don't jump the shark immediately. Yeah. Speaking of feedback, we are going to be reading emails on the show that you write into us, and we have some that we're going to be reading here today. I want to start, actually, with my favorite of the list. Here's what happened. Last month, when we were recording, we were talking about Spider-Man's involvement in Amazing Fantasy 15, and was that, uh, did they throw it into a series knowing they were going to be canceled? Stanley originally said, well, it's the last issue, so I threw Spider-Man in as a, because I knew that the book was getting canceled anyway. But then one of the other stories is, is that he originally thought that Amazing Fantasy Fit would be continuing and that Spider-Man was going to be the lead feature. And so what I did was I wrote into the general Spidey office email at Marvel just asking if anyone there at the office knew. Obviously, none of the people there were working back at that day, and so there was no reason that they would know. But... They, lo and behold, forwarded my email, and this is the response that I got. Hi, John. Super Steve Wacker sent me your impassioned plea for an answer to your burning question about Spidey's appearance in Amazing Fantasy number 15. Burns. Naturally, there were mentions in Amazing number 15 about catching Spidey in upcoming issues because I hoped the strip would catch on and get reader reaction, just as I wrote in issue 4. And it did. As for not mentioning that it was the last issue of Amazing Fantasy, it's hard for me to remember that far back, but I probably figured there was no reason to mention it, because our publisher might decide to put out additional issues, though he didn't. There, true believer, I hope that exemplary explanation will help you sleep at night. Excelsior, Stan Lee. So we have gotten feedback from Stan the Man Lee, and I will tell you... I was on cloud nine for a week after getting that email. That automatically makes everyone else's responses pointless and irrelevant. Don, <laughs> Don, should we tell him that we sent that email? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> we did get other emails, so we have. But they weren't one. from Stanley, so no, not from Stanley. <laughs> Although Wacker did say in a follow-up message that they might be printing that in an upcoming letters column, so be watchful in Amazing Spider-Man issues. Josh has one he's going to read from Michael Bailey. 
Michael Bailey, you know, who still scares uh, little children to this day, he says, hey, John, Paul, George and Ringo. OK, well, he automatically got my intention with that with that opening. Well done, Mr. Bailey or John, Don and Joshua. It's your choice, really. It's my choice. I'm choosing John, Paul, George and Ringo. That sounds good. To I me. Yeah, I downloaded your first two episodes and finished the first one today, and I have to say that I enjoyed the heck out of it. This is quite – well, that's language. This is quite the ambitious project the three of you have embarked upon, and I look forward to listening to every episode. While my spider foo is not as vast as the three of yours – this isn't a measuring contest – I am familiar with the books you are currently covering, having read the first volume of Essential Spider-Man several times. I'd also like to thank John for mentioning that essay I wrote – which I noticed had a glaring typo in it, since it has been forever since I've even thought of it. The only thing I have to add to the conversation, since you guys covered Amazing Fantasy 15 so well, is that maybe, just maybe, Uncle Ben was being inappropriate with Peter, and that it wasn't a burglar that killed Ben, but Aunt May herself, to keep him from hurting Peter anymore. Oh my god. (laughs) See, I'm reading this, like, I didn't read this email ahead, like, John just forwarded this to me, and I'm reading this now, so I'm reacting to this Bailey email. Oh my god. Awesome. There's an I'm episode like- of Law and Order Special Victims Union there somewhere. I swear there is. Yes, there is. <laughs> the- I just imagine, I just imagine Benson and Stanley like just jacking them up. SVU, put your hands up. We need a bus that you know for like, clean. Wait a second. I've never seen the burglar and Aunt May in the same place at the same time. What about <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man issue 200? Shut up with you and your continuity. We retconned that anyway. Peter finding that up- out. And saying, My life is a lie. Keep up the great work, guys, and I look forward to finishing the second episode. Regards, Michael. Thank you, Mr. Bailey, for sending that message. That was that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I love his signature. It like it's like a big commercial for Michael Bailey. Uh, this is the Michael Bailey universe. There are links to everything I do. Well, he's like seven degrees of podcast separation can all be done through him. I'll read his signature for those who need to know about the great Mr. Bailey. This post email was written by Michael Bailey, Superman apologist. Hey, I have a comic book podcast. And we get a link to Views from the Longbox, which is viewsfromthelongbox.com. Hey, I have a comic book blog, which is the Fortress of Bailitude link at fortressofbailitude.com. Hey, I have a Superman podcast that I co-host. And it gives us a link to From Crisis to For Crisis, which is not from crisis to crisis.com. So it's actually supermanhomepage.com. You can go to Superman homepage and find it really easily or just Google it. Yeah. Hey, I'm on the Spider-Man Crawl Space podcast. Spider-Man crawlspace.podomatic.com. Hey, I'm on the Unique Geek. And we get the uniquegeek.com. He leaves out a few, but if he would have put any more in, his signature would have been larger than the actual email. <laughs> we should also mention that he um he played that promo for us that you made, John, so Yeah, it's on the promos. most late, the latest episode of as of this recording of Views from the Long Box. Uh, they did play the promo. Yeah, the promo. For um, and I think it was during the the Avengers episode he had with like a fan Plexico. Okay, cool. I haven't heard the Avengers episode yet. Oh, I did. It was it was it was it was great as always. So, but it, was, it was a nice surprise to hear the promo. So, thank you for that. We also got an email from Mr. Steve Rogers, not of Captain America fame. He's a huge fan of comics, obviously. So he writes in a lot of shows. He's written in my show. He's written into Crawl Space. He's written into TBU, and he writes into here. Hey, John and crew, love the first three episodes and the talk of the classic Silver Age of Marvel goodness. Can't wait to keep hearing new episodes. Thanks. A couple of things to go through. John, since you do the Ultimate Spider-Man podcast with Zach Henderson, do you see many par- much parallels between what Lee and Ditko did in those early issues and what Bendis is trying to do in, on his 
what is essentially a retelling of the early days of Spider-Man set in a much more modern setting. What do you think about that? Um, Zach, feel free to jump in on this if you want. I can see a few similarities. One of the main things to me is that it seems like Bendis, when he was writing Ultimate Spider-Man, he wanted to take a lot of the elements from the Lee Ditko run and bring them all together make into more of a, of a cohesive universe rather than having random villains coming out of random places tie in Dr. Octopus's explosion with, uh, let's call it a Luther Corp, but with Oscorp. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, tie in, uh, I was going to say tie in Venom, but he didn't actually, one of the points of the Venom story is they didn't want it tied in. They wanted people to read that without any continuity baggage. But just, you know, to sort of bring the universe together more. I don't know. I see some similarities, but the series of Ultimate Spider-Man overall sort of takes the history of Spider-Man overall and changes it. Steve continues, just heard a recent views from the long box where Professor of Trademarks Direct Media Incorporated, Michael Bailey, joked that in a recent reading of Avengers 1960s Marvel stories, Avengers in this case, you can see where Stan was kind of making stuff up as he wanted. Actually, that was, that episode you mentioned, that, that's, well, that's the one that came out uh, today. I listened to it today, so when he, he must have said this in uh, a couple hours ago. Yeah, actually he did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, he says he says he he was listening to where Mike joked that you can see in the Avengers comics that Stan was making stuff making stuff up as he went along. It's easy to tell in the early days of the Lee Dicker run, or was it happening towards the end when there's clearly no communication between the two? I have an answer for that, but does, does anyone else want to tackle it first? Go ahead, I think. I think it's obvious. I mean, we talked about the last episode about how the Spider Sense was kind of like you know whatever thing, and um, even even with the, um, the like when they were talking to each other the. There are a lot of discrepancies between like the actual panels and the illustrations and the writing. I mean, I think in the first ten issues of anything, uh, Stan was probably making stuff up as he went along. And back in those days, could you really blame him? I mean, it's not like it's not like comics were where they are now. So I don't think that uh, even if he was making stuff up as he went along, you can really kind of fault him for that. I mean, they, he they, was they writing like same. ninety books a week. And this yeah, is yeah. after he'd been doing this for twenty years. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was getting ready to retire like, when this took off. So I mean, he's doing a lot of work, and he's been doing it for a long time. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's in some ways it's, it's bloody blatant, but you know you can't fault the guy because I've seen I've seen worse instances of crappy writing. So. Another thing to point out that the uh, quote unquote Marvel method of writing comics at the time was that the writer and the artist would come up with a plot together and then the artist would actually tell the story through the art and then Stan would take the art and come up with what everybody's saying in every panel. So they didn't exactly come up with a detailed script before the art was drawn. He did it after the fact. And, you know, if he had a couple of minor continuity errors in his stories, then it's probably just, you know, the, it's not his fault. It's part of the work. And you could yeah. see where he didn't remember what was supposed to be going on with the art. So he was just filling in thought balloons, like one case in issue seven that we'll get to where Peter's just like, hey, where's my clothes? Oh, there they are. And it's like, wow, it's like he was just trying to fill that panel with some sort of dialogue. Because everybody yeah. has to talk in every panel. Oh, yeah, they do. Every single panel has word balloons. There's no expositionary situational scenes or anything. Anyway, that's all for now. Excelsior, Steve Rogers. Thanks. Thank you, Steve, for writing that in. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Please write again when you feel so led. And again, and again, and again. <laughs> Zach has an email he's going to read from Mr. Scott Gardner. And before he does that, Scott is co-host with Michael Bailey of the Tales from the JSA podcast. He also has the Two True Freaks podcast, which covers a variety of topics. They have a, a monthly episode on Star Trek, a monthly episode on Star Wars, a monthly episode on comics in general, and a monthly episode on whatever the crap they want to think about at the time. Those are all found at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com, and they're all very good. Hey, John. 
Here's some feedback for you on episode one of Spider-Man Classics. I loved it. Your banter is great. You guys all seem to get along really well. And you're all loaded with Spider-Geek cred. A couple of thoughts, though. I was a little put off by the burn bashing. <laughs> the guy is still a god whether anyone liked chapter one or not. Josh? Um, okay. Oh, why is everyone looking at me? Okay, <laughs> well, you're the guy who kicked on yeah. I don't have to mention John Byrne again. And again. <laughs> well... Okay, well, here's the deal about the John Byrne stuff. First of all, Scott, sorry that you were put off by it. I'm not going to say that it's not going to happen again, because here's the deal. I'm not one of those people who just, and I'm not saying that you are either. I know that you're not, but who just hero worships the guys to the point where you're not even going to point out their flaws. I mean, Stan, as as much of a god as John Byrne is, Stanley's an even bigger god. And heck, we spent the last few episodes knocking him for stuff that's going on. I know that some of the John Byrne stuff may have seemed abundant and out of place, but I feel that for some of the chapter one comparisons and when we're discussing the retelling, some of the stuff was a little relevant. I'm going to try and tone it down. And obviously as we get out of the chapter one, quote unquote era, it won't be as relevant and won't come up as much, but I mean, that's the deal. And I even, I don't know if you got up to the episode or not. I think I say in episode three, look, I don't hate Byrne. Yeah, you know, he did. did. I, was it episode three? Where is it? Because I, I don't know how far he's listened. I think we uh, gave the disclaimer when we first started talking about him in the in the first or second episode, and then again at the at towards the end of the third episode. Yeah, so I mean, I don't hate Burn. He, you know, it's 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 just like with Spider Man or Stanley or any other things on the podcast. You know, I, I like it, but not to the point where I'm not going to point out their faults and. I haven't read Chapter One, as I've said before. How far does it go in the Amazing F- Spider Man series? About the first 20 issues. Okay, it covers that far. Okay. Yeah, well, it, it skips things here and there, and it like does some of it out of order. And it wasn't all bad. Uh, there was some bad, as I mentioned, and there was some leaps in logic, but it had its moments. But, oh, and yeah, now Scott's saying, gosh darn it, I said I didn't want to hear you do burn bashing, and now you're <laughs> reading my letter and doing more of it. Enough! Well, for the record, I have read... Everything I've read by John Byrne, I have really enjoyed. I read the um, his work in the 80s on Superman with the reboot. I read uh, his well, he didn't write, but he you know co-plotted and did the art for the X-Men in the late 70s, going into the early 80s. And I read um, a Star Trek Romulans one shot he did a couple years ago. I had the highest appreciation for all of those books. I have not yet read chapter one. We'll see how he goes when we get there. I love um, his run on Fantastic Four. That was the shiz. Even Malice? You know, you had Reed slapping Sue in the face, telling her to shut up. How, what can you not like about that? <laughs> I <don't>. <laughs> <laughs> So how come he's not ostracized like Hank Pym is? Because uh, Marvel needed, needed a scapegoat while Peter Parker and Reed Richards gets away with it. Does Peter Parker slap his wife too? Uh, we'll probably oh, be talking about this. God, <laughs> yes. yes, he does. And they later tried to say, well, he didn't see her there. He, it was an accident. <laughs> but if you read the issue, he totally sees Mary Jane. <laughs> he totally sees I think oh, the exact so- words were, um, is Spider-Man going to have to smack a bitch? And then, he, and then he's... Spanks, oh, it's it's okay, John. It's okay, John. It gets better. She was pregnant at the time. Awesome. <laughs> that is better. And it's like a lifetime movie because after he slaps her and runs out, Mary Jane's like, "Peter, wait, come back, don't leave." I love you. Amazing Spider-Man Classics podcast bringing you misogyny with a smile. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I think we need to finish the email. Oh, Zach, what else does Scott say? All right. He says, not trying to bust on you, my friend, but either use blippin' blank, 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 or blank, or don't say it at all, 
Freaking, freaking, freaking. Just saying. And as I'm starting into episode two, I noticed you forgot the most important rule of podcasting. You didn't introduce yourself. That's totally true. I did until the third episode. Really am enjoying it, though. Keep up the good work and I'll be listening. Scott H. Gardner. Okay, so I have to say that whenever Battlestar Galactica came out, I was one of the geeks that incorporated fracking into my vocabulary, and now it's just kind of there. I will try to be more conscious of it and use it more selectively, but um, I, it, it's part of my words now. It's been several years, and I don't know. But I'll try to monitor myself, Scott, just for you. Just for you, buddy. Can okay. I say real quick that um, um, I know I, I, know I was- I said every one of these responses was worthless after Stanley, and to a certain extent, it's true. But I, I, I think I've, I've, I feel really. Uh, I think I speak for all of us when I say we're really humbled that we got so many positive responses and uh, re- responses from people like you know. I mean, Steve Rogers is a diehard comics fan. Um, I was pleasantly surprised, but, but I wasn't really to get a response from him. But uh, you know, Mike and uh, Scott, like these guys are serious podcasting voodoos, uh, gurus. gurus. So I was, uh, I was. Um, I, I'm happy that everybody's enjoying the show. I really am, too. I'm really excited. Thank you all so much for the positive responses. We even have iTunes reviews. Can you believe it? Oh, yes. Awesome podcast. Five stars by HulkFan01. Wow, what a daunting task of reviewing every Spider-Man comic book from the beginning. Spider-Man has been my second favorite comic book character next to the Hulk, and his stories never cease to amaze me. This show is as everything that I thought it would be and much more. Hope to hear a new episode soon. And I just have to say, HulkFan01, not only thank you for writing into this show, you wrote into my other show, and I looked at your history. You have written into several podcasts that you've listened to, praising them. And I just want to say that that's really, really awesome. You looked into I, his history. <laughs> every, I think, well, you can click his name and see what else he's written. I just you know who he is. <laughs> you know how he is. I know what you meant. No, just that as someone who does a podcast and has has talked to other people who do podcasts, I think the iTunes reviews and emails are all cherished by all of us. And the fact that you take the time to write iTunes reviews and promote, you know, give your opinions out there, I think is just really awesome. I wish all more uh, more listeners were like you. Mm-hmm. And the other one is great podcast, five stars by Brian V three twenty six. I enjoy listening to it in my car or working out at the gym. I read the first Spider-Man comics two years ago, but your podcast made me want to buy the Essential Spider-Man Volume 1. Sure, Marvel will be happy to hear that. Yes, and then you can send us some money, too. You don't have to buy our (laughs) stuff. Exactly. (laughs) And he's also one to write into a bunch of podcasts. He's written into several. And uh, you guys are awesome for leaving iTunes reviews and and getting us more uh, appreciation out there. That's just really, really awesome of you. Go buy yourself something nice. (laughs) Yeah. So, before we go on, something I meant to do whenever I did the introductions, but I didn't. Zach is new to this uh, show. He's a guest host uh, this uh, month. Uh, Zach, tell us a little bit about how you got into comics, and Spider-Man in particular. Spider-Man in particular. Okay. My comic book reading and collecting career started mostly by watching the movies. And I really got into reading comics when one day I was in a half-price books, and I was just thumbing through the comics, and I found a... Legends of Dead Earth Annual by DC. And from there, I just started reading other comics, and then I got on to Ultimate Spider-Man, which I can say is the only series I have read from beginning to end, and I'm starting other series, and that's about it. Cool deal. Go ahead and talk about the podcast that we do. Well, the podcast started as an idea by me to do an Ultimate Spider-Man podcast, and I tried to go it alone, but found that I'm incredibly boring. So I went on the 
I think it was the From Crisis to Crisis page, and asked if anybody wanted to do an Ultimate Spider-Man podcast with me, and John responded, and immediately took over my show. <laughs> I didn't mean joke. to take over your show. It was a joke. But yeah, we, uh, we're covering every issue of Ultimate Spider-Man, starting at the beginning and going indefinitely until they cancel the Ultimate line. And right. we do the Meanwhile and the Ultimate Marvel Universe, where we cover just about every other Ultimate title. More briefly. Necessarily. Yeah, more briefly. You can go ahead and check us out over at teenagevoiceline133.libson.com. Woohoo! So before we get into it, I just want to extend thanks again to um, everyone who wrote in, and also to Brad Douglas and the Spider-Man Crawl Space, to Scott Gardner and to Michael Bailey for the pimpage they've been doing on their own corners of the etherwebs. And so please check out spidermancrawlspace.com for an excellent resource on all things Spidey as well as an excellent podcast. Thank you, Stan Lee. And thank you, Stan Lee, if you ever listen to this episode for writing in. You made a fan very happy. Oh, yes. Are we going to discuss the ultimate news real quickly? Or? Yeah, there was some news today. <laughs> yeah, let, they, let, uh, let them know what day we're recording this just in case. Too. We're recording this in... Um, Middle of April. April 13th is actually why we're all sitting down. 2010. They are doing a new Spider-Man cartoon. It is going to be called Ultimate Spider-Man. I don't know if it's going to be... They haven't said if they're going to pattern it after the Bendis books or if they're just using the title. But the sad side of this is that probably means there will be no more spectacular Spider-Man. No! No! And I loved that cartoon. Loved it. I just have one thing to say. Uh, on this ultimate, I hope they make it look like the Mark Bagley Ultimate Spider-Man. I really do. Yeah, I do too. I hope I that mean, it's a good show. If they're doing an adaptation of Ultimate Spider-Man, you know, because they like the concept of Peter in high school and stuff like, oh wait, that's they, what you had already with Spectacular Spider-Man. It's really true. Yeah. I, when I was telling people about the Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon, I. I you know, likened it to Ultimate Spider-Man. What are you going to do? Do an issue-by-issue adaptation? But this is going to be on Disney XD in 2011. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it. I'm going to hope that it's good. I'm going to hope that it's a worthy replacement, but I'm going to mourn the the loss of Spectacular Spider-Man. It took them forever to even give us an answer to, because they were jerking us around for... I mean, Season 2 finished up over a year ago in other countries. I just love that theme song of Spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah, it's very bouncy. My my daughter sings it a lot in the car. And so if you like the theme song to Spectacular Spider-Man, then tune us in at Spectacular's Podcast at Podomat.com. Oh, yeah. Da, 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 da. I'm glad that the cancellation of one of the greatest TV series of all time works for your pimpage, Donovan. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to hear if you want to hear my prolonged and uh, swear-word-laden thoughts on that, check out the episode 9 because we've already recorded episode 8 so episode 9 will be when you hear uh, myself and Thomas's thoughts so. oh yes. boy um, also want to give a shout out and thank you to two awesome websites that are uh, I've been we've been using for the research for this show in the last year and a half that I've been trying to read all of Spider-Man's history uh, these two have been an invaluable resource for making sure I caught all the appearances they are the Marvel Chronology Project at chronologyproject.com that's a database which sorts each and every Marvel character's entire history. They are a handful of years behind the latest books, but if you're looking for chronology info on characters or books from the 90s or earlier, they probably have it indexed and ordered. 
The second site is spiderfan.org, which makes it their goal to catalog every spider character's appearance, cameo, or even mention in every book Marvel's done. They go so far as to include robots and people in Spider-Man t-shirts. They are very exhaustive in their content and very helpful. And lastly, before going on to the issues, I have to make a confession. My family is currently being held hostage and won't be released until I say, Batman rules. Hey, is, yeah. You hear that, Nico? Let them They're go. They're being held hostage by me. <laughs> Doing that for a friend. He asked for a shout out. So that's it's my podcast. I can do that. Oh, so, Batman does rule. Batman does rule. I like Batman. He can defeat Godzilla all... with the Swiss Army knife and a rubber band. Maybe some chewing gum? I think he already has. <laughs> that was the Marvel DC crossover. <laughs> the Batman Godzilla book. So, shall we dive into the books? Let's do it. All right. Get on that diving board. Our first book up for tonight is not an actual issue of Amazing Spider-Man. It is the Strange Tales Annual 2. Strange Tales was currently the Human Torch monthly strip, and they wanted to have a team-up between these two characters, so they made an annual special event. The book was released on June 11, 1963, with the first wave of cover date September books, including Amazing Spider-Man 4 from last episode. It was the second and final annual for this title. Real quick, I'm showing my age. I did not know that this title was served as a Human Torch monthly. Yeah, they started, I think, in 101, and then it was a, uh, after several issues, it was Torch and the Thing, and then they oh. stopped it in time for the Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. monthly strip, which took over their spot. Stan Lee tried to make the Human Torch within the series have a secret identity and try and pretend to be a normal teenager, forgetting that the first few issues of the Fantastic Four book had the Human Torch and the FF being very public with their identities. But he'd be at high school and be, he'd be like, oh, no, how do I change into the torch and, you know, without the gang knowing and stuff like that happening. Then I guess either somebody told Stan Lee or the readers wrote in and caught on. <laughs> so there's an issue where like a reporter or someone comes to the house to Johnny's house and says, we need your help as the human torch. And he's like, what? I'm not the human torch. And then like they explain to him, you idiot. Everyone knows you're the human torch. Everyone in this town is just humoring you. <laughs> And that I think was, my brain just melted out of my ears hearing that. It, it's in one of the essentials or something, but it's hilarious. It's like, no, everyone's just humoring you. We're just, we're just being polite. It's a, it's definitely an example of the the cheesier side of Silver Age Marvel. The That's cheesier side. <laughs> the only side. There's there's somewhat cheesy and really cheesy. Like like it has as many sides as an orange. <laughs> Okay, so... You fool! (laughs) (laughs) The first annual, just, you know, background information, had been nothing but reprints from previous issues of Strange Tales, Journey into Mystery, Tales of Suspense, Tales of Astonish. It was all just a bunch of sci-fi and monster stories. This book gives us the first 20 pages to a team-up between the Torch and Spider-Man. It has Kirby's pencils on the cover with Ditko's inks, and I have to say that although the overall design of this cover is kind of cool and dramatic... There are lots of little things about it that are really wrong and throw me off. Spider-Man's face webs are wrong. He's missing his spider. And actually, it really kind of looks like Spider-Man is about to have his way with Torchy Boy. So I don't know. <laughs> oh, you got that too? Well, actually, actually, actually his, his entire web pattern on his torso and his mask are wrong. Like, the, only, the only web pattern on his costume that works is the one on his uh, his right, our left, his right forearm. And uh, the up the, the top side of his mess. Everything else is just you know. And I'm not. I'm really not a fan of Kirby drawing Spider-Man because he typically does get the web pattern 
very wrong. And I was under the impression that little details like that were left to the inker. Maybe Kirby did draw them and so Ditko had to ink them the wrong way. I don't know. I would have thought that Ditko would have done the webs himself when he was inking and would have done them the way he's been doing it in the book. I don't know, though. They look fine on the inside. What's that? He must have been reading Ayn Rand or something at the time. Yeah. So, a little recap of the relationship between these guys so far. Peter Parker wanted to join up with the Fantastic Four. We talked about that before to make some money. The meeting didn't go entirely as he wanted, and he left in a huff with hurt feelings. Later, when he was pouty from being beaten by Dr. Octopus, the Torch spoke at a school assembly, and his pep talk really helped Peter get past the mopes. So, as Spider-Man, he thanked the Torch for help after he beat Doc Ock. And so, Spider-Man kind of likes the Torch at this point. But if we flip the tables a bit, we look at the torch, and he was minding his own business one day when the alarm goes off because someone is breaking into the Baxter building. Turns out to be Spider-Man, the creepy masked guy who's wanted by the police. He and his teammates fight him to a standstill, and then Spider-Man has the nerve to want to be on the team. And when someone tries to find out who Spider-Man is and what he's what is up with the police wanting him, he runs off. Later, when he's sent to stop Dr. Octopus, Spider-Man swings by the doctor's office window to say, Never mind, I got him, and swings off again. So I can see why the Torch might not like or might not have the best opinion of Spider-Man at this point. So that being said, here is the issue. Strange Tales Annual presents one of the most epic thrillers of all time. The Dazzling... <laughs> the dazzling human torch on the trail of the amazing Spider-Man. We don't usually talk about credits because it's usually just Stanley and Steve Ditko, but this book did have Jack Kirby pencils with Steve Ditko inking on the inside as well as the cover, and Art Simek lettered what Stanley wrote. The torch is running through an obstacle course in his backyard with his sister helping him. Poor Sue has to manually turn the spinny tangle bars for him to dodge through. <laughs> Poor Sue. <laughs> they go for a rest inside until Flame and Fireballs torch sees Spider-Man on the cover of Live Magazine. He's peeved that Spider-Man gets lots of headlines while anything the torch does gets lumped in with the Fantastic Four. You know, which is awesome because if I were like part of a group or a rock band or something, I wouldn't want my band to get any credit. I'd want it all for myself. Does he see the headlines Spider-Man's getting? So in his nine-year-old-like temper tantrum, he tears up the magazine. Sue's annoyed by this, rightly so, so she vanishes and goes off to do girly things, and Torch wants a chance to prove that Spider-Man ain't so hot. I want to be framed for murder, like Spider-Man. Whenever whenever I'm framed for murder, they say that Reed and and Sue and Ben help. And Ben's always such a more likely suspect because he's, you know, big and rocky. Well, in like the first 20 issues of the Fantastic Four, they're like, what are we going to do if Ben ever turns on humanity? Hey, Ben's coming. Everyone whisper. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't give him too much caffeine. That is is count one of of the many times I will say the FF are jerks. Yes. Um, They are actually going to be the uh, the guests on these episodes this month. So we change scene to the Museum of Art. Which Museum of Art? The Museum of Art. Where the fox is staking out a Da Vinci original on display. The fox is so-called because he has an angular face with a massive chin and a long-ass nose sticking out of his face. Oh, and he smokes his cigarettes on the end of a stick thingy. Later that night, he cuts the power line and then goes into the museum with his men, all dressed as electric technicians to fool the guards. They do fix the wiring like good little crooks, but they also make off with the Da Vinci painting in a tube, and the fox leaves behind some webbing under the frame, which of course sets the police looking for Spider-Man. Back at the hideout, the goons are all excited about having the painting worth so much money, but the fox just wants to see Spider-Man run away from the police. Spider-Man is kind of peeved that his name is being smeared again, and he wants to prove his innocence by finding the real thief. He decides that he could use some help, since he has to hide from the police. So he'll swing out to Glenville to talk to the Human Torch at his house. Maybe it'll be fun to work together because they are both teenage heroes. 
Of course, the irony is built up, because while he's on the way, the police chief calls the Torch to help find Spider-Man, so that just as Spider-Man arrives, the Torch is all revved up and ready to tackle him. They fight in his backyard, which also has a swimming pool, in addition to the obstacle course, I might add, and then they're in a forest, and then they're at a construction site, and all the while, Spidey is staying a step or two ahead of the Torch, because holy heat waves, the Torch has never seen anyone move so fast! It's like an episode of Tom and Jerry. They're like, they're at the pool, they're in the forest, they're at a construction site. <laughs> it's just like one or two frames on each scene, and then inexplicably they're somewhere else. Oh, look, it's the desert. Every time someone gets hit, someone yells, yeah! So finally, Spidey uses a cement truck at the construction site to cover the torch with cement. While the torch heats up to get what? out of the trunk. <laughs> I just said this is like Tom and Jerry, and then come on. <laughs> come on. Now, this should not be a good thing to do to somebody. I mean, we're assuming the torch can get out of this, but if you cover somebody in concrete, they will die. <laughs> I'm sure Spider Man knew what he was doing all along. I'm sure Spider-Man, he did. No. It's like Iceman. <laughs> Especially in early X Men comics, Iceman is always icing people up and like encasing their limbs in ice, and I'm like, Dude, you're going to kill them. You have 11 minutes to stop these men, Commissioner. While the torch heats up to get out of the concrete, Spider-Man disappears. The torch is tired, so he walks home instead of flying home. But before he even gets home, he decides he's rested enough, and he takes off to search more for the webhead. This would be an example of Stanley making it up as he went along and trying to figure out what to write for the art. It'll say... Meanwhile, Spider-Man breaks into Carson Chemical Laboratories and decides to add ice-cold silicone crystals to his webbing to make ice webbing that will douse the torch. I'm pretty sure this doesn't make any sense. (laughs) But I'm going to roll with it. (laughs) You're pretty sure. The torch is a block away shooting the breeze with some cops, talking about motorcycles of all things, when Spidey shows up and starts another fight. He leads the torch on a chase right to his ice web trap that he has laid so deviously. The torch is not only stuck to the web, but also he can't immediately break free because it's ice web. Spider-Man tries to explain that he's innocent and had come to the torch for help, but the torch is having none of it. So Spidey covers him in more ice web, causing his flame to die out so fast that it turns to vapor. And the frigid web changes the vapor so that the torch is now covered in snow. No, no, Stan Lee, stop right now. (laughs) (laughs) It says to me. (laughs) Don't you know anything else about science? (laughs) Oh, Stan Lee, what did your science teacher do to you? Spider-Man realizes this makes no sense, so he leaves him like this. (laughs) 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 Griping that the torch wouldn't believe him because all he wants is headlines and publicity. Irony. The Torch realizes that Spider-Man is accusing him of all the things that he had been thinking of Spider-Man at the beginning of the story. So he decides to give Spider-Man some room to work. He goes to the police inspector's office and learns that another painting has been stolen while he was tussling with Spider-Man, so of course Spider-Man must be innocent. The inspector suggests the fox as a likely suspect. So the Torch leaves a flame message for Spider-Man in the sky. The fox sees this and decides to leave town. (laughs) Note. The fox has decided and told his guys, let's get out of town. Now, this next scene right here with the meeting on the Statue of Liberty, this gets referenced later. And I think I think it's Amazing Spider-Man 19 whenever he's quit and the torch is looking for him. And, and when I was back, it comes up at least a couple like of a times. lot of they times said, that becomes yeah. their regular meeting place. OK, yeah, yeah. But the when I was a kid, I was very peeved because my reprint collection, which was one through 20, I was very peeved that it would reference a Spider-Man adventure but not include it in the books. And so for years, like for all of my life, 
I had Strange Tales Annual Number Two in my head as this Holy Grail missing Spider-Man adventure. And oh, you were wrong. Now that I've read it, <laughs> <laughs> so let's just keep going. Science, <laughs> science, the miracle of science. Your heat evaporated so fast in my ice that there is now vapor snow. <laughs> vapor snow. <laughs> So Spider-Man shines his spider signal into the Statue of Liberty's torch to get the Human Torch's attention. Using the photo of the fox from the detective and a list of places where the fox has been sighted, they set off in search. They try a subway station first, and naturally they run into the fox. When the fox told his men, let's leave town, what he actually meant was, I'm going to dress an old lady drag and hang out in a subway station where I've been sighted before with a big bundle of gluey fabric so I can trap Spider-Man and shoot him. It was like secret code. So when the torch shows up and melts his gun, he runs off again down the tracks. They pursue and find a trap door in the tracks with a secret lair below, but the fox is nowhere to be found. So they decide to check the next place on their list, the Bowery. Spider-Man gets a spider tingle from a big statue of an Indian, advertising El Hempo cigars, of all things. They move the statue's arm and Batcave style, a secret door opens with bullets coming out of it. Well, bullets don't usually come out of the Batcave, but, you know, the secret entrance thing. The heroes manage to apprehend the fox's two thugs inside, who confess that the fox is headed for Central Park. In Central Park, they see a guy with a rather large telescope and a sign advertising chances to see the moon and planets for 10 cents. A police officer... 10 cents. 10 cents. Or a shoelace. You can either... You can see the moon and planets for a dime or a shoelace. A police officer is telling him to move along because he doesn't have a vendor's license. Now, Spidey and Torch see this, and they get suspicious of a guy who's trying to look at the moon and stars in the daytime. <laughs> that they get suspicious over. So, the guy re- <laughs> so as they come out with their suspiciousness, the guy reaches down and touches a button on the side of his shoe, popping out his <clears throat> rocket-powered roller skates. <laughs> oh, after that... <laughs> God almighty. Oh, <laughs> uh, they catch him. They pull off his mask and they see that oh, it's the fox. Now, I'm not even sure how that mask managed to go on cuz the fox has the big old like long sticking out nose and the mask has a little bitty nose, so I don't know. But they do find the stolen Da Vinci painting inside the telescope. It's I a guess very good mask. Yeah. It's bigger on the inside. I guess they'll find the other painting later because they don't mention it in the story. But they do walk off with Spider-Man and the Torch continuing to needle one another as they've been doing this whole time. So that the fox cries out, come on, lock me up so I can stop listening to you two nuts. And that is the end. (laughs) Did anyone else find that book as wonky and kooky as I did? (laughs) Yes. That is... For such a horror bad story, it does have a lot of important things to it. This is the first Spider-Man team-up. Yes, which will become a staple in the 70s and 80s. And unless you count, you know, the whole group fight with the Fantastic Four, which I don't, you know, as the beginning of their rivalry. This is the beginning of the Human Torch Spider-Man rivalry. Yes. Because that fight, you know, it wasn't really like that personal between them. And the next time he saw him, he's like, you're my inspiration. I beat Dr. Octopus because of you. This is the beginning of the rivalry and the beginning of the meeting place on the top of the Statue of Liberty. So a lot of important things came from this story. But good, good, good God. This is also the continuation of the fact that the the Fantastic Four are so important and so big and so this and so that that they never like 
Ashley produced it and she said, oh, Johnny can handle him. We have more important things to do. Let me drive over my car and meet Reed. I mean, like, do, what, 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 where, where, are the, where are the other members of the four here? Like, what are they doing? Yeah. Uh, Reed's trying to figure out if he's engaged to Sue or not. I mean, really, at this point, they are. <laughs> trying yeah, to but they're, 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 forget- they're going to forget, and he's going to, like, propose again in, like, 30 <laughs> issues. And it's like, wait, weren't you? And the thing is, you know, looking for blind chicks. and As you do. As you do. Yeah. Making sure that they're not scrolls. I didn't mention it as, until the end of the synopsis, but there is lots of corny but fun banter between the two once they finally start working together. Lots of puns, lots of insults, and Spider-Man does get a lot of opportunity to shine, even though technically this is supposed to be a torch story. There's a lot of, I mean, as cheesy and stupid as the ice web is, it you is know, stupid. it was kind of, you know, Spider-Man doing a cool Spidey invention thing. And, and he does lots of other stuff in here that sort of gives him some some room to have the spotlight. Well, it's just that you think you would see that again. I've never seen him... Aside from the video games, ever pull an ice web? No, he never, ever, ever, ever well, again. Because I was, I was gonna ask I, Josh, do you know? Well, because of the whole, because Peter Parker's a science nerd, as we all know, and he saw the effect of the ice web, how it did that snow things, and it it was just too. He couldn't wrap his scientific brain around how that was possible, so he forgot about the ice <laughs> web. That must have been a dream of mine. He's like, no. It never. It's like those people who get abused who deny that it ever happened. Like the raping of science just violated his mind, so he's in denial that the ice of webs ever happened. <laughs> it's, it's, so, a lot, it's a lot like us. This never happened, Peter. We I know don't, how you feel. I, We're not going to talk about this in the morning. It was storm. She was hiding somewhere. Okay. <laughs> before she was even before she was even in, in uh, America. It's a retcon. I don't care. <laughs> Science so, makes it makes sense. Gosh darn it! Sadly, unlike the ice web, this is not the final appearance of the fox. He does come back in Spider-Man Unlimited number five from 1994. It's called Estranged Tales. Ah, uh, I see what they did. There. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, series started with the uh, Maximum Carnage arc, didn't it? Isn't that when they started doing Spider-Man Unlimited? Maximum Carnage. Yes, it is. Zach, what do you think about this uh, this, this stupid comic? <laughs> I laughed at it. Um, well, I did the, the the whole web ice web thing. I was literally on the floor, floor just looking up my ceiling because I couldn't do anything else and think like, okay, how did this happen? How could this work? <laughs> I mean, ice cold silicone crystals. What does that even mean, Stanley? Yeah. What have you done? What has your science teacher done to you? <laughs> I think that you know because Jack Kirby is a guy who has. Had many anchor, many famous anchors like Vince Coletta, Dick Ayers, Ro- Mike Royer, uh, Frank Giacoya. I don't think that Steve Vico is a perfect mesh with his art, but there are some pages where I think the artist. There are some. There are a couple of pages where it is, it is pretty good. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not a fan of Spider-Man, but there is one on page nine on the third panel where it has that Peter putting on his mask. I thought that was pretty cool looking. Because he's doing the whole cowl bit there. Yeah. Yeah. I, it looks like the mask is kind of bigger than. It should be, but I, I, I like that, and I like the next page where, page twelve, where you see like that picture of the fox. That's a very Kirby-esque kind of uh, drawing of a guy. So it, it has its spots here and there. I think it would probably would have been better if it was just Jack doing it and not a uh, not Steve inking him. But you know, it, it's not bad. I just wanted to say how absurd rocket skates are. Go go gadget <laughs> rocket skates. Well, we see we see him much later with the rocket racer. Or the, that was a skateboard. Though. That's a rocket skateboard. You know, that's a lot more practical. 
I, I, I love I love the, the the dialogue when he when he's shooting away. If you want to talk to me, you have to catch me first, and nobody can do that. That sounds like the beginning of a Family Guy physical comedy bit. <laughs> yeah, sure does. Like, like uh, before no, somebody no, no, thinks. Now, 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 now. Well, Iron so, Man has rocket skates in his suit, so maybe Stark Tech sells these things, and the and the fight. That's where the fox got him. Is that something during the Teen Tony issues? No, that was Silver Age Iron Man. He had rocket skates in his boots. Five years earlier than this, DC had their two lead teen characters, Superboy and Robin, meet up in an issue of Adventure Comics, which was, for those of you who are following along at home, number 253, released August 28, 1958, with a cover date of October. So I read bits of it before doing this, just you know, to see how it compared. And in typical Silver Age DC style, Superboy and Robin completely trusted each other. No suspicions. They worked well together. Everything you'd expect from the all-happy children's fair that DC was putting out at that time. And so, of course, Marvel has to come back and have their two lead teen heroes not trust each other, barely even like each other, and get in each other's way when working together. Not only does, like, he trust him, Robin, like, appears from nowhere and he's like, hello, Superboy, I'm from the future. Like, you know, exactly. that, that would make me suspicious right off the bat. I know. You're wearing like, a mask oh. and, you know, really, really short shorts and you're from the future and I'm just supposed to trust you? Well, I trusted yeah. the Legion. Seems reasonable to me. Yeah, that's true. He was already conditioned for this by the Legion. <laughs> you get the feeling that in the, that in the DC universe, like they don't know the con, they didn't learn the concept of betrayal until you know the Bronze Age. Yeah, 1970. <laughs> they like took everything at face value. This magazine had ads for Amazing Spider-Man and the new title, The Avengers, dun dun dun, as well as the second issue of Sergeant Fury and the Fantastic Four annual which was crammed full of features, surprises, and the world's most colorful supervillains. Sure to be a sellout. Reserve your copy today. And there's also quite a number of reprinted short stories, but I'm not going to go through those because this isn't really Spidey's book. And we don't usually note where the books are reprinted because we're going in sequence with Amazing Spider-Man, so you can always just catch the essentials of Marvel Masterworks. But uh, since this is a side trip, I'm going to note that you can find this story if you want to in the Amazing Spider-Man Omnibus hardcover. The Essential Fantastic Four number two, Essential Human Torch, Giant Size Spider-Man number one, or the first Marvel Masterworks for the Human Torch hardcover. And that is all I have for this book. A little note, we don't have to talk about this in detail, but I did have a a brief note on Fantastic Four annual number one. I don't know if anyone had a chance to look at the Spider-Man story in the back of that. I looked at it a long time ago, I remember it. Okay, that was released on July 2nd with the last wave of September books. The uh, lead story featured Namor's rediscovery of his Atlantean race and their invasion of New York. But aside from that 37-page epic and several other little features, there was a story which, to me, was seems like it was kind of unique to Marvel at the time. It's one of the early Marvel retcons, if you will. Seven months earlier, Amazing Spider-Man number 1 had featured Spider-Man's attempt to join the Fantastic Four. But this visit had descended into a bit of a battle with Spidey and the FF drawn by Steve Ditko. It only lasted a couple of pages, though, and there's an editor's note here that states they had received countless requests to expand upon this historic encounter. So Kirby takes the scene and expands it to over five pages. He uses Ditko's panel designs, but he redraws the figures to make them more his style with Ditko inking, so Spidey also looks like his normal self. But then he adds in a whole bunch of extra panels... Each member of the Fantastic Four, as Spidey takes them on, each one gets an extra shot or two at Spider-Man, and each member holds his own, I think, better against Spider-Man, and I think the scene works actually rather well here. What do you guys think? Yeah, well, it was their magazine, and 
I think part of it, too, was to advertise Spider-Man within the Fantastic Four magazine. Marvel in these early days says, well, our letter writers demanded that they wanted more Vulture and stuff like that. You wonder how many of these letters actually existed. I remember, and I actually said that when I was reading it. It's like, who would demand for more Vulture? <laughs> well, it's like, I want to see the Spider-Man and Fantastic Four fight again, but with more panels. I mean, I'm, I find it hard to believe that a lot of people wrote in saying that. Right. So that story, if you want to find it, it's in the second Fantastic Four volume of Marvel Masterworks. And those were the annuals for this year. Spider-Man did not have his own annual. He would in 1964, however. So we'll be covering that a few episodes down the road. And we're going to stop right there for this episode. We'll be back in a few days to continue the conversation with Amazing Spider-Man issues 5 and 6, featuring Spider-Man's first encounter with Doctor Doom and the introduction of the Lizard, I want to thank everyone again who wrote into the show. If you would like to send us your feelings on the show or any questions you might have for the group, our email address is AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com. I also encourage you to visit the website where the episode is posted. That is AmazingSpiderMan.Libsyn.com, where I can include show notes, snazzy images, and sometimes extra supplemental information that ties into the conversation. You may post comments. You may post comments on each episode there. You may join the show group on Facebook if you search for Amazing Spider-Man Classics. And we also are always appreciative of iTunes reviews. This has been Episode 4 of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Thank you for listening. Good night. animated uh, announcement today. I don't know if y'all have oh, seen that. Please. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, I just know. Yeah. I've been off the grid. They're making... They're, they're doing another animated series. It's not... They're doing an Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> wait, but no, this is... No, this, that means that they're probably going to cancel Spectacular. Oh, yeah, that... Probably. That, that sucks. I would... I mean, as much as I like Ultimate Spider-Man, it, I would hate to see Spectacular go. Spectacular was so good. No mm-hmm. way. Oh, my God. This effing sucks. God, they're ending. They're gonna end spectacular Spider-Man. They're, yeah, they're, God, God, it. Yeah, I was, I was. That can suck so bad. Well, here's the thing. Why, why? You have a perfectly good Spider-Man cartoon. Why are you going to make another one and stop that one? Yeah. Loved, like, like, what? What kind of mindset is that? Like, well, like, why? Well, what? You know, Ultimate Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man as a teenager in high school. That's what you have now. They basically. I mean. They could Unless have called what do, they like, were doing episode Ultimate by episode adaptation. I can see the business meeting where Disney doesn't want to have Sony's show. They want to have their own show. They don't want to have, and there may have been legal 
issues and battles that couldn't get resolved, so they had to drop Spectacular. I mean, I, I can see s- the middle finger that Greg Wiseman put up to their faces when they told him. Oh, that. 